0: This and summarizing this for those of you who haven't weren't here for Vision Sunday, and for those of you who are new to our church, to know that it's very uh, rare for us to talk about growth numbers, we've never done it before. But this year, uh, you know, on average, as a young church, we have uh, about uh, 60 adults that attend here consistently every Sunday. Now, not everyone comes every Sunday, so we have about 100 church members, and then we have about 20, 25 kids in our kids' church. So the Lord has given us specific uh, green light and direction and motivation, and He's said, go for it. I want you to build this church this year. And so we've set a specific goal to see our church go from 60 adults attending on a Sunday Uh, regularly to 100 adults uh, attending regularly on a Sunday. We want to see our kids go from 25 children to 50 children. And I want to boldly stand up here and and tell you uh, that the Lord said this, uh, it's time to count people because Brad people count. And uh, that people really matter to the Lord. And so I wanted to give the context that we've never done that before. We're excited about it. And uh, it's given us absolute clarity and focus because everything that we want to do this year is in some way either directly or indirectly connected to seeing this church uh, <clears throat> being promoted in capacity and influence. And the Lord said part of that is obviously to grow the church. Um, the other angle to that also is that uh, we feel God is asking us to uh, create a, a you know a particular focus or a model in our church culture, and the, the thriving word there or driving word is balance. We love the word of God, but we also like the Spirit of God, and we feel as a church we're called to uh, to be an example of good, healthy balance. Uh, we're not perfect. We're not uh, you know, necessarily saying we're the best or you know other churches. We are a, a humble church who has got a lot of lear- lot of learning to do, a lot of growing to do, uh, but we are excited about what God wants to do with us and through us. Amen. And so, um, f- with that, the Lord said to us that in this season of growth, uh, you know, the people, uh, encourage the people to be focused. I talked about the analogy of, uh, when JFK was president of the United States, uh, that they were, um, you know, There was uh, an area where the nation wanted to go to greatness, and they were in a cold war, and the race to to space against the Russians was heating up, and the Russians actually made it out into space before the Americans. And so JFK, when he came into the presidency, he knew that it was important to actually use principles around focus uh, to help the nation to break through and to come into that new place of territory and leading the way and setting the example for the world, and uh, whether you're a fan of JFK or not is, is not really relevant to the point that I'm making. What is relevant is that he, he knew that for, for a team, a body of people, whether it be a nation, whether it be a local community, whether it be a church, whether it be a team even in, in the marketplace, for a team to really help them to focus and to break through, um, you have to, to pinpoint uh, people deliberately towards what that, that focus should be so that we're not distracted and we keep the main thing, the main thing, amen? And so uh, he... he Declared over the nation that uh, that that we would go from uh, this particular place to actually sending a place to the moon by this particular date. The formula that he used was X to Y by when, and it really rallied the people and it helped the nation to shift to that next level. Now, what I what I believe is in Ecclesiastes it says there's nothing new under the sun, and that is a lot of these principles that uh, people now use. Uh, for for seeing fruitfulness come and results come are all come from the Bible. You can really source a lot of these things in the Bible. And Habakkuk, it teaches write the vision down so clearly that enables people to run with it, so deliberately clear that it enables people to run with the vision. And so that's an example really of what JFK did. So what we've done is we've gone X to Y by when. We've never done this before, uh, but we feel so encouraged and deliberately intent on doing this and the Lord has given us a big green light to say go for it. it because this is the season, this is your now. So to go from 60 adults to 100 adults by December 2017. And so with all of that in mind, I wanted to bring this message of the ultimate invitation. And I'm bringing a teaching today that I've never in the six years that we've been, uh, that we planted and then uh, been building forever house, I've never brought a message teaching uh, that's related to what I'm going to bring today. Not because uh, it's, it's mysterious or, or anything, but it's, it's really coming out of the, the focus that God's asking us to have this year. And uh, so it's been fascinating for me to go into the Word and look at what God wants to bring in this season to help us to be uh, encouraged and also understand that God is into people. He's into the local church growing and uh, He wants us to be on board. Who believes that? Amen. Good. So the ultimate invitation. You know, when I'm thinking about the word invitation... I'm going to be talking about invitation at multiple levels, how that implies with how you've been invited by the Lord to build the kingdom of God, but how the Lord also asks us to be activated in inviting other people to that same thing that we've said yes to. Uh, We're also going to look at the, the actual motivation, the heartbeat of God, that he actually is the inviter. And he has something that he has prepared for people to enjoy and he 's taken you know he 's prepared it with with every ounce of his heart and so he 's so motivated to see people partake in the wonderful things that he has prepared and so not only once but twice through he 's so motivated we 're going to see in scripture how the heartbeat of the Father that we worship our God really wants uh, to see people come into what he has prepared for them and when I was thinking about this. I was thinking about how sometimes, you know, when I've sat at the airport, and why am I at the airport? I'm at the airport because I'm ultimately wanting to go to a particular destination. And there's been times when I've been at the airport, but I've been distracted. Everyone say distracted. Where I've either been reading the latest Roger Federer article. Um, I actually was reading a Federal Lost In the Dubai Championships this week, it was a surprise because he just won the Australian Open. And I was kind of shocked when I read that he lost to some unknown guy. And uh, they even said there were moments where it was obvious that he choked. And so I'm reading this article and I was at the airport this week and I kind of just got so entrenched in the article that I almost missed my plane. And uh, I wasn't paying attention to the time and, and that type of thing. Uh, it's funny, coming back from, was it Sydney this week to Brisbane, there were some delays because there was thunderstorms in Sydney and uh, so I'm, I'm there in the lounge and there's this, this guy over here and he's fallen asleep and uh, you had to really be switched on and listening to the updates because it was kind of changing all the time and some flights were even being cancelled. and so I just felt to, as a courtesy, I said, look, I said, look mate, I'm sorry I'm waking you up um, but I just wanted to make sure you don't miss your flight. And he's like, um, oh, no, no, it's okay. I've, I've got my alarm on. It's in my pocket. And uh, he pretty much does back off to sleep. But what's interesting is when when we think about um, we're at, at an airport and sometimes we can be distracted. And uh, I think sometimes in life, our walk with Jesus and our walk Uh, and navigation through being a part of the local church and building the kingdom of God and coming into the cause of Christ, sometimes we can be distracted in that we don't keep the main thing the main thing. And you know, when you, you when you imagine someone who's sitting at the airport, the main thing is for them to get to the destination, right? And make sure that they get there. Um, And for for them to be distracted and and not keep the main thing the main thing, there's consequences, obviously. Uh, I think sometimes in our Christianity and in church life, in the kingdom of God, um, I feel that God's really wanting us to make sure, particularly this year, we keep the main thing the main thing. And what is the main thing? The main thing is, is that you and I are all ambassadors of eternity. You and I are all representatives of the kingdom of God, that God has prepared something amazing and you and i have all have an exciting responsibility to make sure that we in some way whatever god uh, the way that god guides us that we're not only securing our own place in eternity as in growing in god and connecting and fellowshiping and 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 being activated in the things of god but also we're actually inviting people into this invitation called eternity uh, because at the end of the day everyone's going to go into eternity the bible says but the the type of eternal experience will be different for different people depending on how they respond to the invitation of God. Who knows that the Bible teaches that? And so there's a responsibility. And so I want to talk to us about the importance of making sure we keep the main thing the main thing. Because if our Christianity is kind of rocking up to the airport, which is kind of like, you know, partaking in the kingdom of God on the earth today, going to church, getting good teaching, uh, growing in the gifts of God and, and growing in our identity in God, and that, that's, all, that's all good. But what about um, how are we relating to eternity? What are we thinking about eternity? How often do we think about eternity? How often do we think about keeping the main thing, the main thing? And that is actually what we're doing here for the purpose of God, making sure that we're influencing eternity, making sure that we're seeing people, we're inviting people, we're sharing our our story with people so that they can actually process the truth of Jesus Christ. And at the end of the day, the Bible says, it's actually not you and I that have to worry about winning souls. It's you and I that have to worry about preaching the good news, witnessing our story and it's the conviction of the Holy Spirit himself which will process So sometimes we actually are reaping a harvest and we're bringing people into the kingdom of God from the kingdom of light and that can be through our witness or our testimony and our experience of praying for them but sometimes we're just sowing seed and someone else who will come three years, years later who will sow more seed may be the person who actually partners with the Lord to harvest them and to pull them out of the kingdom of darkness and the kingdom of God sometimes I think we get so hung up on thinking we have to, it's all about trying to win, win, win people, which is great. It is about winning people, but it's just about first simplifying things. Keep the main thing the main thing, and that is you and I are called to witness. Yeah, yeah. If we keep being worried about, you know, like like it's kind of like a sales Excel spreadsheet. Oh, the target is I've got to win eight people this year. Well, that, You know, your personality may not be like that. So if you focus on it like that, you'll see this whole thing called evangelism as an absolute turn-off. Because you're looking at it at the wrong angle. The main thing is the main thing, and that is you and I have to be people who are activating the mouthpiece. Now, we all have different types of personalities, but we've got to be minded on that you and I are called to invite the world to know who Jesus is. How they process that and what decision they make actually is up between, depending on, well, it's up to them and God to talk about that. Amen? Who believes this? Good. So, let's look, look, look at some scripture here. If we look at the book of Luke, chapter 14, verses 15 to 24, I want to talk about the parable of the great feast. I'm actually going to read two versions of this. One actually is more um, very positive with a little bit of, oh, okay, that's interesting. And the, the next one is actually a lot more intense. What's interesting is the, the, the one that was written around Luke is more around when Jesus shared this more at the beginning of his ministry. Everyone say beginning. The one in Matthew is actually more when Jesus was really being persecuted and uh, it was becoming um, very clear that um, uh, the Jewish people and also the Pharisees really wanted to see Jesus die. And so the intensity level of his message was coming through. So I wanted to share that there's a difference here with these two uh, interpretations, uh, but they all relate to each other. So in Luke chapter 14, verses 15 to 24, the parable of the great feast, verse 15... Hearing this, a man sitting at the table with Jesus exclaimed, what a blessing it will be to attend a banquet in the kingdom of God. Jesus replied with this story. A man prepared a great feast and sent out many invitations. When the banquet was ready, he sent his servant to tell the guests, come, the banquet is ready. Verse 18, but they all began making excuses. One said, I've just bought a field and must inspect it. Please excuse me. Another said, I've just bought five pairs of oxen and I want to try them out. Please excuse me. Verse 20, another said, I just got married, so I cannot come. The servant returned and told his master what they had said. And his master was furious and said, go quickly into the streets and alleys of the town and invite the poor, invite the crippled, invite the blind, invite the lame. And after the servant had done this, he reported, there is still room for more people. So his master said, go out into the country lanes and behind the hedges and urge anyone you find to come so that the house will be full. For none of those I first invited will get even the smallest taste of my banquet. Now I want to read this second version because this is a a, a key part of scripture which actually reveals... A couple of things. It reveals the heart of God that he actually has taken time to prepare something amazing. It's called eternal life with him. Reconciliation forever. He's prepared something amazing. Now who knows if you're cooking something at home and you're preparing a really good meal. I mean, you want to make it special, you want to make it nice, right? Right? particularly if it's a wedding banquet. I mean, you put a lot of time, put a lot of energy, it's important to you. So he's prepared. Not only that, but also it reveals his heart to really see people respond, to really see people actually partake, to actually come along and enjoy this amazing thing he's prepared. So when the first round of people that were invited reject the invitation, then he sends his servants out another time to go everywhere and anywhere, and then they report back there's still room for more. So then he says, go out again. So who can see that God's really motivated to see people partake in the thing that he's prepared for them? Come on now. He has a heartbeat to see people shift out of that darkness into light. He wants to see people partake in the beautiful gift called Jesus Christ. He wants to see people to actually be set free and to come out of the shackles of what the kingdom of darkness would try to lock them into eternally and come into a freedom called eternal life. He's absolutely excited and, and, and motivated and switched on and focused and his heartbeat is all, all for seeing people respond and partake and enjoy the beautiful wonder of eternal life that he's created. That's his heartbeat, church. That's his heartbeat. So it's important for us to catch that. Let's have a look at Matthew 22, 1, 14. This is a more intense, everyone say intense. Now it's more intense and I think... You know, Jesus was wanting to get the message across. I think he lifted the barometer of the heat on the message that Matthew's recorded to a whole, he probably skipped about three levels because he really wanted to start to sort people out. He really wanted to say, hey, you know what? We need to get people's attention here. So let's read this version. Parable of the Great Feast, Matthew 22, one fourteen. Jesus also told them other parables. He said, the kingdom of heaven can be illustrated by the story of a king Who prepared a great wedding feast for his son. And when the banquet was ready, he sent his servants to notify those who were invited. But they all refused to come. Now, when you look at the scripture, that's talking about first the invitation. God wanted to propose to Israel, the Jewish nation, the Hebrews, right? That was his original plan. But, and through Jesus, that was the offering. That was the proposal to come. This was the Messiah. But many of them rejected. So then it was the whole mission and strategy to then go out to the Gentiles and to save everyone and to bring them into this amazing thing called eternal life. And so the first group of people, they all refused to come. Verse 4, so he sent other servants to tell them, the feast has been prepared, the bulls and fat and cattle have been killed and everything is ready, come to the banquet." So he's, he's, in this version, he's sending the servants back out to the people who first rejected, saying, seriously, this is amazing. Like, this is what i prepared. It's going to be wonderful, this feast. Come. Verse 5, but the guests he had invited ignored them and went their own way, one to his farm, another to his business. Others, verse 6 says, seized his messengers and insulted them and killed them. Verse 7, the king was furious and he sent out his army to destroy the murderers and burn their town. Everyone say, ooh. Everyone say, ah. Verse 8, and he said to his servants, the wedding feast is ready and the guests I invited aren't worthy of the honor. Now go out to the street corners, invite everyone you see. So the servants brought in everyone they could find, good and bad alike, and the banquet hall was filled with guests. Verse 11, but when the king came in to meet the guests, he noticed a man who wasn't wearing the proper clothes for a wedding. friend, he asked, how is it that you are here without wedding clothes? How is it that you're partaking in this, but you're actually not really clothed in righteousness? But the man had no reply. And then the king said to his aides, Bind his hands and feet and throw him out into the outer darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. For many are called, but few are chosen. Everyone say, Whoa. Now that's a very intense ending to this. But what it highlights is this: it highlights how passionate God is about how people respond to his invitation. Come on, church. How passionate our God is, how into our God is about how people respond to the invitation. Therefore, he's also passionate, very passionate, about how his servants activate themselves to actually invite people. Because if he's so passionate to see how people respond... Watch this. It's not really the servant's responsibility to make people respond the way that God wants. That's ultimately between God and the person who's being invited. But it is the servant's responsibility to take that commandment up and to go and invite people. To tell them of the amazing banquet. And then it's up to that person to respond. And God's interested and passionate about how people respond. But he's also interested in seeing the obedience of his servants actually getting the message out about the feast. Everyone say, my God's passionate. So I want to talk now about how these parts of Scripture actually shed some light on what I call the invitation journey. So that we can appropriate from you and I in our moment when we get saved and we say yes to Jesus to then journeying and being transitioned to getting planted in the local church so we can be raised up and disciples, so we can be activated to then get the message out, bring other people into the kingdom of God, and raise them up as sons and daughters in the house of God and see them do what they're called to do, out to our journey to actually then going into eternity and being part of the forever family forever, as in not the forever house family, but the forever family, which is eternity forever, right? Right? The first thing is the heart. Everyone say heart. So when you think about the heart, is that Jesus, when we, when we witness about Jesus, when we talk about the invitation, when we talk about the banquet, this whole analogy of marriage. There's a wedding banquet, right? The king's prepared it, wanting to see people come. And so, first of all, this first stage of the kingdom of God to see people go from darkness into light is all about the heart. Everyone say courtship. So, when you think about an everyday couple that's proposing, because the body of Christ or the church or the house of God, right? The united bride of Christ and the groomsman, Jesus, the son of God, ultimately are getting married, church. We're talking about a wedding here. Who knows that? And there's a journey. So God, the father who sent his only begotten son, that whoever should believe in him would have eternal life is obviously interested in how are people going to respond to what he set up. Seeing as though he's saved, he's only begotten, he, 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 he sacrificed his only begotten son. He's passionate to see who wants to become the bride of Christ. Who wants to respond to say, yes, they want to marry my son Jesus and, and live together in a harmonious, uh, sickness-free, uh, a, a cure of, of cursed, uh, beautiful eternity. Right? Can anyone say, I'm feeling a bit passionate up here. And so we're talking about a journey of courtship between you being a member of the body of Christ, you being a member of the bride on earth today, and actually being courted and wooed into a heartbeat relationship with the Son of God, and then actually being prepared during your engagement on planet earth called the house of God, being raised up, getting fit, getting sharp, getting ready, but also inviting other people to this amazing wedding, and then eventually coming in to the grand wedding day that never ends, and it's also including an awesome never-ending honeymoon called the eternity so there's a whole invitational journey that you and i i feel like god wants to activate us in the revelation that you or i are part of this amazing invitational journey and the first thing is the heart see god is constantly pursuing the hearts of men and women he sends the holy spirit out on the earth today He's sending the word of God out on the word, the, the gospel. He's sending the prophetic anointing out. He's sending his evangelists out. He's sending his teachers out. He's sending his apostles out. He's sending his, his uh, evangelists out. He's sending his pastors out. He's raising churches. He's planning churches. He's doing all these different things to see an activated army of God inviting people to this amazing wedding. It's the first thing is a one-on-one heart connection when people actually are being pursued by the Lord through different ways, through you just witnessing, through different things that happen in their life that shake their world up. God's moving because He's courting people. And it's a heart step first. So the courtship, the proposal of Jesus Christ being the Son of God, do you want to say yes to Jesus? Do you want to give your life to Jesus? Is a proposal to the people on planet Earth, church. It's a proposal. Like when a, a... Prospective husband gets down on his knee and says, Hey, we've been hanging out for a while. I've been getting to know you. You've been getting to know me. Can we make this more of a long-term thing? The Lord's heart is to woo people, to court them. He's offering a proposal. You and I are carriers of that proposal. We're voices of that proposal. And then it leads to salvation where we actually have a heart change. It's a heart transaction. It's a heart transformation. And then we get baptized in water. We get baptized in spirit. In Ephesians 1, 13 to 14, it says, And now you gentles have also heard the truth, the good news that God saves you. And when you believed in Christ, he identified you as his own by giving you the Holy Spirit whom he promised long ago. The Spirit is God's guarantee that he will give us the inheritance he promised and that he has purchased us to be his own people. He did this so we would praise and glorify him. Catch this. First, there's a wooing and a courtship that's all about the heart. And then when we give our life to God, when we say yes to the proposal, then God actually puts an engagement ring on our life the Bible says that the Holy Spirit the very living Spirit of God that starts to become indwelled within you when you become born again even though you're living on planet earth the Spirit of God that's living within you is an active sign of the promise of eternal life to come that you are now engaged with Jesus and for those guys who are like getting weirded out yes, you're engaged to Jesus (laughs) if you're a Christian because you're all the body of Christ, amen. Yes, men, you are the, the bride of Jesus. And women, yes, you are the sons of the Lord, right? Sons and daughters, but you know, the Bible says the sons. It's all, it's all okay. Turn to the person next to you and say, it's okay, I don't have an identity crisis. <laughs> Jesus and his father give us a guarantee of his promise to marry us. Come on now. The Holy Spirit is a guarantee. The Holy Spirit living on the inside of you. When you become born again and you respond to the courtship or when you witness to someone... And then someone else witnesses to them and that waters the seed of salvation in them and it comes forth. There was a courting stage and a winning stage and it comes forth and they respond to the proposal to say yes to Jesus' proposal, to say yes to the invitation that Jesus is saying, believe in him and he will give us eternal life. They respond to the proposal and they shift from courtship into engagement because they become born again of the most high, beautiful, powerful spirit of God called Holy Spirit. And that is evidence of the eternal promise to come. It's an engagement. Everyone say courtship to engagement. engagement. The Greek word in terms of earnest in Scripture talks about the earnest indwelling. The Greek word there means deposit. And also the word, uh, another translation of it meaning arabon actually means a pledge. It's an engagement. It's a pledge. It's a sign of the promise to come. You know when when uh, when Sarah and I were courting, we we went through this similar journey. Cool. We courted first, right? I was more wooing her. She definitely wasn't wooing me. <laughs> no. I mean that a good way because she's the prize, right? And uh, definitely, she said, <laughs> "I love my wife. She's confident." but humble um, so anyway <laughs> so I'm courting Sarah right so we're not going out we're not boyfriend and girlfriend it was just you know not, not even holding hands just building the friendship real traditional and some of you are like well okay that's full. well you've got to understand uh, this was you know a pastor's kid raised by ministers who had you know real good intentions for the child and I had a pastor and I was almost seven years older than Sarah so uh, you bad <laughs> So I knew I had to do something really quite strategic to show and to win trust and all this. If you heard Julie preach, she preaches all around the world about it. Listen to some of her messages. It's hilarious. And so uh, there was this courtship that took place. And then it was about then me going to Greg and Julie and saying, hey, I would like to now propose to Sarah. I would like to marry Sarah. And so there's a whole season of engagement. I got their permission. Then I asked Sarah. She responded. Thankfully, she said yes. And we were engaged for a year, and when we were engaged for a year, there was a lot of preparation in the in the engagement season. A lot of preparation. We weren't fully having the whole wedding yet, and we weren't married, and we weren't able to fully run into everything, all the blessings of our married life. But it was a transition uh, season. At engagement, we were engaged for a year, which is quite a long time for a Christian, right? (laughs) That's what we did. And thank God, we did it well. Amen. We had good accountability. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. (laughs) Kept your eye on the prize. That's right. And so we're engaged for you. But can I tell you, it was exciting and it was fun, but it was hard work and it was disciplined. Same is true. When you get born again, And you transition from courtship and then you become engaged with the indwelling Spirit of God. You go into a season from that moment of salvation to the rest of your life on planet earth being engaged. And you get called into the house of God to be raised up, to get fit, to get discipled, to sharpen yourself as a man or woman of God, to reproduce yourself, to do the work of the Lord, to see and make sure that the wedding eventually to come in eternity is going to be full with guests, it's going to be prepared, it's going to be ready, and everyone's going to be able to have a great party. And you and three other people aren't going to be there, but there's going to be a whole other people there to partake with you. See, when we had our engagement... We were like, you know, getting the invitation list right. We had to get the invitations. We had to send them out, right? Most people RSVP'd. Some people said no, right? We had to shake off that rejection. No, I'm not joking. Just some people weren't available, <laughs> right? But some people, not everyone that you invite to the wedding is going to say yes. Doesn't matter, it doesn't mean that you don't invite them to the wedding. You invite who you think is right and who, who you're called to invite to the wedding, right? And there's a lot of preparation. I mean, I wanted to look sharp and fit. I wanted to be fit for my wedding and my honeymoon and and my life. (laughs) So I spent that engagement year, man. I was going to the gym, right? Now, without going into detail, Sarah often says, you know, Brad, remember our honeymoon? Remember? You don't often say that, no. But every now and then as slight encouragement and motivation. You say, remember what your body looked like on your honeymoon, Right? <laughs> Remember the, those days, Brad? <laughs> See, you're going kind to of understand, Sarah, I mean, I know she's pregnant now, so it's slightly different, but she pretty much looks exactly the same. Zara, just last night at Greg and Julie's house, I was staying at Nana and Papa's house. Zara was watching, they showed uh, Zara our wedding video. She'd never seen it before. And this was one of the comments that she made to Nana and Papa. She said, This is nice, this is nice. She said, Wow, daddy looks really different. <laughs> I saw her this morning. I said, so how does daddy look different? And she just kind of paused. I thought, does daddy look a bit bigger now? Yes. (laughs) Thanks, honey. Anyway, when we're engaged, she said, Papa had hair. That's right. You've changed too. (laughs) Yeah. Although a bald head does always look better than a big belly, I think. Though. (laughs) Thank God. I've got the shrinking anointing on my belly, and we've got the growth anointing on the church. Amen. Thank God for church. (laughs) Uh, And so when we're engaged, we're like, we're becoming disciplined. We're we're, we're growing in our identity. We're preparing for married life. I'm asking Sarah, so what do you expect from a husband? And you're asking me, so what do you expect? Uh, you know, from a wife and we're getting an understanding of how we're going to relate, how we're going to build this life together and how many children do we want. And, but we're organized, we're inviting people. We're getting the whole thing planned. We're getting excited about this expectation. You have an engagement party, you work out, you get fit because you want to be fit. You want to be sharp. You want to be lean for this new life, for this amazing life together forever. The same is true. You and I are now all in engagement season as the church, as the body of Christ. You and I are all engaged. We have the Holy Spirit living inside of us, which is a promise that we will enter into eternity and live forever in a curse-free land where the, 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 the living waters... Of, of God, will be able to flow into our life, and we'll be able to worship God, we'll be doing things, there'll be assignments, but it's going to be amazing, all of the tears that we've ever shed in life, all the worries, all the depression, all the anxiety, all of that stress that we've ever had a battle through will be wiped away, says the Bible, it's going to be an amazing, amazing party that will last forever, we'll be worshipping God, there's going to be a breakout of the Spirit of God, we're going to see the angels, we're going to see different facets of the God that we worship every single day, there'll always be something new for us to discover about the God that we're worshipping, it's going to be amazing! It's going to be an amazing feast. We'll be able to partake in all these things and feed on things in life. And it's going to be the party of all parties. And it's going to have a honeymoon. And it's going to go on forever and ever, says the Lord. Who's excited about that? But yet, this season on earth, right now, now that you've been wooed from the Lord, you've had your courtship, you've said yes to the proposal, and now God's gotten down on His knee. He sacrificed His life. He raised up His hand to you and said, "Come now, and let's 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 do this together forever." And you've said yes, and He's actually indwelled you with the power of God, the life-giving, uh, curse-conquering, defeating power of God. The power of God that gives us life. He's put that inside of you to say, "This is a sign that you are going to live forever." That my promise is yes, and amen. That I am. I'm going to pull you out of this place that's corrupt, that's broken, that's sad sometimes, into a place that's going to set you free forever. But who knows that when you get married, God, well, some people might think that, but in terms of God's thing, God saying, God has not designed you and I to elope. He's designed to let people know about this wedding, to invite people to this wedding. So that they can be there and celebrate with everyone else, they can be people who've responded to the invite. God has not designed for you and I to be courted and wooed by Jesus to say yes to proposal and then just go on a loop with Jesus by ourselves and not tell anyone. Come on. I think sometimes our Christianity becomes comfortable because we convince ourselves, you know what, I'm not the right type of personality, or I don't have the right gifting, or I don't think really, I'm, I'm, I'm really good at letting people know about this wedding. And we convince ourselves that maybe I'm just, that's just not part of my calling. I've said this many times. There's a difference between actually being an appointed or anointed evangelist as opposed to being a saint or a soldier in the arm of God who's called to witness the truth of Jesus Christ. You and I, doesn't matter who you are, your personality, if you have the indwelling spirit or Holy Spirit inside of you, if you've said yes to Jesus Christ, if you call yourself a Christian today, if you're a son or daughter of the Most High God, you are called to witness the truth and send out a message that God has proposed an amazing banquet for you and I to all partake in. How would you like to respond do you want to get on board do you want to come along and you know what then you just leave it up to God to actually process it with them convict them and all you've done is just being obedient and letting them know about the wedding banquet the ultimate invitation and so the invitation journey is the heart the courtship the engagement is not just Getting saved, but actually becoming part of the house of God, being a part of a local church that's a representation of the greater body of Christ where we come here and there's healthy accountability. There was accountability in our engagement. Healthy accountability to make sure we were prepared right so we could come in the fullness of the destiny of our wedding and beyond. Come on now. I, I'm thankful for that accountability. Because I know some of the things that we entered into straight away in our wedding. The, the doors of favour, the opportunity came because God reward us in doing things right. Can I tell you that God wants to see His church be discipled, to be strengthened, to be sharpened. He wants you spiritually fit. He wants you to know Him more. He doesn't just want you to know him a little bit. He wants you to know you more and more while you're in this season on planet earth doing this thing. Because when you get to heaven, you're going to be clear on exactly what your assignment is. And he's going to teach you more, but he wants to strengthen you. He wants to prepare you. He wants you to prepare other people. And so there's a heart. Everyone say heart. heart. Then there's the house. Everyone say house. Heart. And then there's heaven. Everyone say heaven. Heart. So it goes from the heart. To then getting in the house where engagement is courtship, being wooed, saying yes to the proposal. That's the heart transformation. Then there's that. Then there's the house alignment, getting into the house of God. But not just getting planned in the house of God, but encouraging other people to get planned in the house of God. So when you send the message out there, make sure that they actually go through a journey of proper engagement. So then we can all go into this amazing place called heaven. I wanted to now share with you some teaching on what I think is really important, and that's there are great rewards, great rewards that the Bible talks about for you and I, when not only we get a hold of this heart, house, heaven, invitational journey, but when we actually activate ourselves by helping the Lord, letting people know about this journey does great reward. I want to talk first of all about the reward of inviting others with you. Not just focusing on your own engagement and journey, but inviting people along with you. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 7-8. to eight. So then neither is he that plants anything, neither he that waters, but God that gives the increase. So sometimes you're going to plant people in the house of God because you've actually directly, through your relationship and witnessing with them, you lead them to, to Jesus. It could be through anything. It could be a work. It could be through a small group. It could be through them coming here. It could be through you doing a social event, whatever it is. And then you plant them in to the kingdom of God. Or sometimes it could be just watering. someone sowed a seed and people are raising questions about Jesus and then you're you're witnessing and you're further watering and strengthening that seed of revelation that may not necessarily harvest right there and then in relationship with you. But three years later when someone else comes, that actual seed has been fertilized enough and has strengthened enough to now be harvested. So basically the scripture is saying, don't worry about how many people You with the Lord save, focus on just witnessing, focus on letting people know about the proposal and some will actually respond straight away and some will be more watering. So then neither is he that plants anything, neither he that waters, but it's God that gives the increase. Now he that plants and he that waters are one and every man shall receive his own reward according to his own labor. So people will be rewarded for planting and for watering. God will reward us for our individual labors in the Lord, as you just read, according to his own labor. I want to talk about this because we can't earn our salvation. That's a gift. Everyone say a gift. We can't earn a work for salvation. That's a gift. But we can earn special praise. I want to bring this teaching in because it's biblical and it's true. So let me be very clear. We cannot earn our salvation. It's through the works of the cross, absolutely, wholeheartedly. Nothing of our own humanity can we do to earn the price, sorry, the the reward of eternal life, but only just to believe in Christ and give our life to him and invite him into our life and to live for God by faith. That's the only thing that can bring salvation. Who believes that? However, beyond that, we need to come into some solid teaching that the Lord is passionate about seeing how people respond. And therefore, in order for him to see how they respond, he wants his servants to get the message out. And he will reward those who, who do that. And so he says, "But we can earn, so teaching here is, but we can earn special praise and commendation from the Lord and we can work for rewards. So we don't work for our salvation, but we do work for heavenly rewards beyond our salvation. In Revelation 2.10, it talks about different crowns that the Lord will reward people. Now, crowns, you know, where, where we say Jesus is the King of kings and the Lord of lords, it means that people under his kingship will be rewarded different levels of authority, different levels of territory, different levels of domain within his kingdom. Who here knows that? And so we will all be saved, those people who come into the freedom of eternity, through the gift of salvation. But beyond that, there will be different levels of reward due to our obedience to responding the call of God on life to witness and to get the message out that this banquet is not prepared just for you and I, but it's prepared for everyone. We're going to get the message out, and then it's up to God to watch and see how they respond. But as long as we're faithful getting the message out, then God will reward us. Is anyone getting this? Is anyone encouraged today? Because I want to be upfront and honest with you. We've got to tap into the way God wants to motivate you, not tap into the way Pastor Brad thinks he should motivate you. Come on now, let me be honest with you. I could stand up here and be hopeful that uh, you know taking the church from 60 to 100 adults will motivate you. But you know what? I know that I'm a human being and I've got to tap into how God wants to motivate people. I've got to get beyond my own limitation of my leadership and I've got to tap into what heaven says about what we should be doing on earth. And I know that God says... That it's not about just taking a church from 60 to 100. He's given us that direction for a certain strategy for what we want to do as a church and what he wants to see this church do, yes. But apart from that, and everyone say beyond. beyond. Beyond that, let's now plug into that the truth that God actually wants to reward you in heaven for what you do in obedience to sending the message out to the, to the, to the planet earth about the reality of this amazing thing called eternal life through Jesus Christ. He wants to reward you. So what are these rewards? First of all, let me do a little bit of teaching. Revelation 2.10 talks about the crown is our reward given only to winners, only those who run and win the race, and he will reward each according to his works. So he gives salvation according to no works just by people receiving the gift and accepting it, but then he does reward each according to his works beyond that salvation. In the story, Jesus told about the man with one talent, Of gold, the man with two and the man with five, the thing that was important was not not that one was given more than the other, but how each invested the assets that had been given. What you do with your talents or gifts is up to you. It's not what you've got that determines the outcome. It's what you do with what you've got. When you get to heaven and the time comes for you to receive your recognition and reward, will he say to you, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your Lord. Enter into the reward. He's going to welcome us all with loving, unconditional love because of our salvation. But there will be a time where he will appoint clear recognition and reward for what we've done on planet Earth. And I don't think there's healthy teaching about this very often right now. I personally am not as motivated to talk to people about God if I think it's just about getting from a number to a number. I'm talking about my own church. Now, I am motivated to see us grow, but I know we've got to plug the heaven assignment into it. Come on now. Who's being challenged a little bit here today? So let's talk about these rewards. We know the reward of accepting the invitation is salvation. Luke 14, 15. Hearing this, a man sitting at the table with Jesus exclaimed, what a blessing it will be to attend a banquet. First of all, when people actually say yes to the to God through your witnessing, there's going to be an amazing blessing on their life. Yes. But let's now talk about your specific rewards. I want to finish with this. I'm going to ask Jason to come. There's, there's actually five crowns that the Bible and the book of Revelation talks about as rewards in heaven that God wants to release. But I want to talk about two. The first is the crown of rejoicing. Everyone say rejoicing. 1 Thessalonians 2, 19-20 says, For what is our hope or joy or crown of rejoicing? Is it not even you in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ at his coming for you are our glory and joy? Now, this crown has been called the crown of rejoicing. But when you look at the study... It's the soul winner's crown. The Apostle Paul here is calling those he has saved his joy and his crown of rejoicing. The word crown seems to be implying that God will be giving out a crown to those who've been instrumental in getting other people saved and led to him through the blood of his son Jesus. God will be rewarding those who will try and let people know about him. And we'll be encouraging people to open their hearts to Him. Make no doubt about it, church. God will be rewarding those people who activate the call to witness about Jesus Christ on the earth today. That's truth. When we look at a crown, it's a representation of an authority, a level of dominion, a level of assignment, of call in eternity. The next one is the crown of glory, and I want to teach this. There's five, but just for today's purposes, because there's other, other ones that you could look at, but I want to teach on the second one, because it brings balance. Can everyone say balance? It's the crown of glory. So the first one is the crown of rejoicing for witnessing. The second one is a crown of glory. Now, what's the crown of glory a reward for and a recognition for? The crown of glory is when people actively disciple and shepherd people and help to get them connected and planted through its teaching, shepherding, and it's not necessarily about having the title of pastor or having the title of shepherd or having to officially you know run a particular pastoral department. I'm talking about I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about whether you've got a title or not, whether you've been a Christian for 20 years or two. Have you chosen to follow the call of God, to help, to disciple people, to be a disciple who helps to make other disciples, to shepherd people, to love and encourage people? seeing them not only come into the things of God, but to be strengthened in that. Really, these two crowns, church, are two very distinct and clear rewards because God wants you to help Him woo people through courtship and then to be engaged and through engagement to be strengthened so when they go into eternity, they're prepared. And not just to strengthen them, but to strengthen them to then go out and for them to woo people and to see disciples making disciples. I think sometimes we can be so interested in getting a revelation of the love of God and the grace of God and the mercy of God because we really don't have to do anything to earn those things. And that's great. But sometimes I wonder, maybe, just maybe, we can lose sight of also getting a revelation of the other things that God wants us to get a revelation of. And that is, if we're sitting at the airport... And we've forgotten to keep the main thing, the main thing. And he's saying afresh today. My grace, my mercy, my love is freely given to all of you. Come and enjoy that. But I'm asking you to keep the main thing, the main thing. And I'm asking you to help me to woo people into the kingdom of God to share the truth, to not be afraid to stand before men and declare your faith in Jesus Christ, to find moments and times to witness to people and to see those people where you can see cues and clues that their heart is responding then, to invite them to the house of God, to bless their identity in Christ, to see them give their heart, to say yes to the proposal, to strengthen, them, teach them, encourage them, prophesy over them, see them planted in the house of God, see them raised up so those then will be raised up to then also woo others and to bring those people into the house of God and the kingdom of God and then to see those ones strengthened and to see those ones also activated and going out and wooing and witnessing and bringing those ones into the engagement season and so on and so on and so on why why am I finishing with this I'll tell you why as we finish this today. I feel so sh- like there's an anointing right here in this place and it relates to this particular part of Scripture where I feel to end this message God wants us to really catch His heart. What's His heart? Verse 21 of Luke chapter 14 The servant returned and told his master what they had said the people who Rejected, His master was furious and said, go. Now hear, hear these words as God's saying to himself, go quickly into the streets and alleys of the town and fight the poor, the crippled, the blind and the lame. And after the servant had done this, he reported there is still more room. So his master said, go, 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 go. Go out into the country lanes and behind the hedges and urge anyone urge anyone you find to come urge anyone you find to come so that the house will be full God's saying people matter people matter to him People count. Awesome. Let's pray and ask the whole music team to come and feel to finish with the song. if we just close our eyes for a second and ask the student team just to prep the stage they can remove the pulpit but I'm just going to ask everyone just to close their eyes and bow their heads just as we prepare I'm going to ask all of our leaders to start praying hear the Lord saying this The Lord's saying, I am charging up a new heartbeat. I'm charging up a new heartbeat in this hour for my church to come alive in a new way. Feel my heart, says God. Feel my heart today. Open up your heart and feel my heart for people. Holy Spirit, move in this place. I hear the Lord saying He's releasing a new heart connection to His heart. I'm hearing God say, I'm strategically connecting your heart as in your spirit in a fresh way to my heart today because I'm moving you beyond the distractions of life. I'm moving you beyond all the focuses of the day, all the things that may hinder your way. In order to hear me say, It is and must be a brand new day. Hear my heart, says God, to the people. I prepared an amazing, amazing, amazing banquet. The Lord's saying I... There are ones very close around about you that are broken and hurting. And I'm breaking off the fear and I'm breaking off the intimidation of this time and of this season to encourage you to share your story. Hear the Lord saying that I'm activating the power of your testimony in a new way. Thank you, Lord.